terms of chapter six against the twelve masters is mostly about uh, it's basically a place for Shunzo to refute um, the other philosophers whose ideas are popular during his time. And some of them are um, ways of thinking that are actually prevalent today. So even though this discussion happened some 2,000 years plus into the past, it's still really relevant. Um, and this kind of brings to mind um, the proverb or idea um, that there's nothing really new under the sun to quote uh, from, I believe, Solomon in the Bible. But um, this also relates to the world of ideas. And so even though people, um, when it comes to human affairs, talk about new things, new ways of looking at the world and even, even ideas like uh, the existence of aliens or going out into outer space, um, you actually see sort of a recycling or a revival of ideas in the past. You know, this idea of encountering aliens that are more sophisticated than you. Um, there's a parallel between that and finding um, stories, myths about people who go out into the wilderness and they encounter fairies or, you know, some sort of spirit um, that deals with them and, you know, talks to them or even gives them sort of, some sort of gift. So, um, you know, these things are not new, or even the idea of going out there into some unknown space, uh, unknown area, and making a home there. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of a basis of many, many myths. So, um, in the world of human beings, uh, there's not really a completely new way of looking at, at life. Uh, so here we can look and learn um, from some of these 12 um, quote-unquote masters and according to this first footnote you know it um, they kind of get paired into these six doctrines so let's talk about each of these overall Shinzo says um, there are people who are uh, who ornament perverse doctrines and embellish vile teachings such that they disturb and disorder the whole world. Their exaggerated, twisted, and overly subtle arguments cause all under heaven to be muddled and not know where in right and wrong and order and disorder are, are contained. I like this description, exaggerated, twisted, and overly subtle, because this is the kind of arguments that people use all the time when they're trying to justify something that is not true. It's overly subtle. It's not that subtle arguments are wrong and that all truths are very basic and common sense, but uh, there's a such thing as they're using uh, subtlety to disguise falseness. Um, you know, they're creating distinctions that shouldn't exist or don't really seem to mean anything, such as uh, arguing that there's a difference between prostitution and sex work what they call sex work, you know, that's um, overly subtle and exaggerated and it's twisted, you know, because ultimately um, a prostitute is, prostitution is uh, a perverse thing and anybody who engages in that is not simply just doing work like an office worker does. So um, you should not 
always simply follow somebody's logic. Should have talked about that before, I believe. Uh, so let's look at this first um, grouping to To Xiao and Wei Mao. Um, and uh, let's see what Shizu say says about them. The, these men give rein to their inborn disposition and nature. They are at ease in license and arrogance and have the conduct of beasts. They are incapable of bringing about accordance with proper form or creating comprehensive rule. Nevertheless, nevertheless, they can cite evidence for maintaining their views and they achieve a reasoned order in their explanation so that it is enough to deceive and confuse the foolish masses. Such men are Tuo, Xiao, and Wei Mo. All right, what's going on here? I, I like that uh, once again we have um, a recognition that the masses of people, the multitudes of people, most people are foolish and they're easily deceived. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, if you ever find some somebody who purports to be a Confucian scholar and, and believes that you can simply, um, you know, use a system where everybody ends up choosing their leaders um, based off of these candidates' uh, argumentation to the people, uh, you can tell that Shunzi is probably not going to be a fan of that. Okay, but let's look at what um, these views are. If you look at the description, uh, basically we're talking about these kinds of people who say, look, don't cultivate yourself, just be who you are. So this is um, the manifestation of this kind of thinking today is extreme individualism. You know, just do whatever you want. Um, don't feel like you have to be one way or the other. Just go with things, go with the flow. Um, this kind of sounds like what uh, Taoism uh, starts to become philosophically, um, perhaps after the Qin Dynasty is established. And, um, but during Shunzi's time, this was uh, led by, this kind of thinking was led by different people. And, um, Today, we could think of anybody between uh, the typical kind of hippie um, to people who um, simply do not believe in self-cultivating oneself, simply believe in just doing whatever you feel like. And we have plenty of people who believe this, even though it might not be a particularly articulated school of thought. Um, the way that people behave these days are certainly as such. So they are at ease in license and arrogance and have the conduct of beasts, basically because if they follow their inborn disposition, in other words, what they're born as, they don't cultivate themselves. Remember, according to their human nature is bad. Your inborn disposition is bad. And so you are little more than animals if you simply do not develop yourself. Okay, so basically the only end result of that is that you act, people act like animals and uh, society becomes disorderly. Uh, perhaps anarchists can be um, placed under this kind of grouping as well. So all you get is beastly behavior, more chaos, and so you cannot create comprehensive rule.
You cannot co create comprehensive order. Okay. The next group, uh, in contrast, resists their inborn disposition in nature. They go to great extremes and look upon what is deviant as beneficial. So they're kind of going to the other direction in terms of how they deal with their inborn disposition, and yet they still end up in extreme error. Uh, line 15, with impropriety, they take distinguishing themselves from other people as supreme. They are incapable of, again, coordinating the great masses or making clear the great divisions of society. Again, they can still cite evidence for maintaining their views, and they achieve a reason or an explanation. So just because people have reasons for things doesn't mean it's true. Uh, and if you come up with any discussion with people, people can come up with reasons and evidence for all sorts of things, of all sorts of things. It doesn't mean that it's true. And if you go onto social media sometimes and people have these lists of sources, it's really stupid. If you click on each of these sources, they don't really actually back up the point. And shame on people who do this because they're just copy and pasting and they're just hoping that the person they're responding to doesn't actually look up the sources or waste so much time in doing so as effectively quote unquote trolling them. So shame on those people. Um, so they, uh, in this paragraph, we don't um, really see directly what they're doing, but they are, according to the end note, uh, excuse me, the footnote, they are cited, we uh, mentioned in book, in chapter three, line two to three. So if you go to there uh, real quick, I believe I know what this is talking about. Yes, uh, this paragraph, where he is going against people who categorically disdain the wealthy and noble in order to support the poor and lowly. And so this is why he says they are incapable of making clear the great divisions of society. So from what we can gather is that these are some people who go against um, uh, order in society, hierarchy in society. And so they go against this, and probably the way they go about this is to um, uh, try to diminish as much desire as possible. You know, it's, Buddhism hasn't reached China, but um, a lot of the thinking in Buddhist, Buddhism is to decrease their desires. And some more absolute forms of that, uh, perhaps uh, you could say Zen Buddhism fits into this, is to simply get rid of all desires. And um, when you... The idea is that once you get rid of all desires, then um, then you can um, abolish things like hierarchy, and and, and there'll be or you know there there will be some good order throughout the world. Now, um, Shunda argues more articulately against this later. This idea that you can get rid of your desires. Um, and he's very careful about that in a much later chapter um, in the Correcting Names um, chapter. That's, uh, I think, chapter 2022, Correct Naming. So he discusses that more further. Um, but these kinds of people, they really work on their inborn dispositions and nature and then uh, they go to great extremes, going the other way, so maybe they don't eat meat anymore. Uh, maybe they give up things like 
uh, I don't know, onions uh, or whatever. Um, and this is how they distinguish themselves from other people as being better. And um, <laughs> you kind of do see some of that today. You see vegans and that kind of thing. Um, it's not that uh, wanting to care for animals is a bad thing, but um, the, the issue is that what you're doing is you're taking something and you're going to an extreme with it that isn't natural and uh, not either healthy or achievable. So to avoid animal products altogether is something that you couldn't really do in the past, honestly. Um, it would be very unhealthy. And even what we consider to be herbivores are opportunistic predators. So sometimes deer will um, eat baby chicks if they can get to it. And um, what you find is these, these animals that supposedly are pure herbivores end up actually eating meat when um, they can have the opportunity to do so. Because meat is a very big benefit towards a person's health. So we don't know exactly um, in this paragraph what these, uh, this, these people are about, what their philosophy is, but Shunza describes them as going to the great extremes um, against their inborn dispositions and nature. And they use that to become superior. Um, but this is not something that can allow the masses of people to be coordinated, to be ordered, to be, to find themselves in a harmonious society. So it simply doesn't work. And uh, this vague description you could fit into a lot of different people in today's society as well, uh, like I was discussing. Okay, the, the next group of people is Modu and Songxing. Modu is also known as Modu. And he is a very famous person in this time period. And he, both Shunzi and Mencius, criticizes Modu. Mozu is um, the best way, I, the best parallel I think you can make for today is to call him a proto-communist. And that's because um, uh, Mozu is, is recorded or uh, criticized as saying that, um, as being very in favor, much in favor of equality. So Mencius says about Mozu that uh, the king, um, According to Mencius, Mozu claims that the king should be farming side by side with the farmers. And Mencius says this is wrong because uh, the king should be focused on uh, ruling. And that takes labor, as well as scholars are laboring with their mind. The farmers are laboring with their hands, feet, and arms and legs. And the specialization is what makes society work. So let's look at what Shunzi says about the ideas of Mozu and Song Xin. Some of these men do not understand the proper scales for unifying the world and establishing states and families. <clears throat> they elevate concrete results and useful, usefulness and extol frugality and restraint. So they're materialistic. Okay, not materialistic in the sense of greed, but materialistic in the sense of defining all sorts of progress by how much something is used up or how much things are gathered. So it's useful. Does it give concrete results? Um, and it's good if you can save money. They extol frugality and restraint. But 
Susan continues, they have disdain for ranks and classes, and so they never uh, have been able to accept distinction and differences or discriminate between lord and minister. So in other words, they want to get rid of all hierarchy. So um, this is what why I consider them to be very much proto-communist. Um, they also don't believe they believe that you should treat everybody equally. So you're not supposed to give special uh, treatment to your own parents. Okay, that's what Mota is cited as saying by Mencius. And so uh, this sounds this should sound very familiar, right? This is very much communistic um, thinking. It's very populistic thinking. We also find this kind of thinking with a lot of democratically minded people, you know, people who uphold the equality found extolled in democracies. Um, so they don't believe in distinctions. They don't believe in hierarchy. They don't believe that certain people are more important than others. Certain people are more important to you by virtue of them being your father or your children or your mother or your wife or husband. They don't believe that you should really make a, um, a distinction. Um, so this is also listed as one of the incorrect ways to understand life. And it's incorrect. Um, I guess I haven't been talking about why exactly it's incorrect. Um, but for for this way of thinking, um, it's important to specialize. And it's just simply part of human nature, not just human nature, but um, it's beautiful that there are certain people that's important um, in certain ways. So it's actually really awful that everybody is equal to each other and everybody has just a little bit of care for each other. Because if you're supposed to care about everybody in the world equally, that means you're not going to care about any particular person super well, right? This is just kind of fractions, you know? So there's only so much care that you can care and love you have to give, and you're going to divide that by six or seven billion. That's not much. It's much better that we all have simply one father, one mother that we that we love and love in that way, and we you know have these limited number of children that we love in a certain way, and, and uh, you know same thing with with spouses in the other relation. Um, going going um, back to the previous paragraph, why do you resist your inborn nature dispositions in nature? It's not that it's bad to go against what your born is as long as you cultivate in the wrong, right way. The problem is if you go into a direction that doesn't make sense. You know, so if, you're, if your whole life and identity is simply about never eating animal products, um, that's not going to lead you to great virtue because there are more important things than that. And beasts are not as good as human beings. Um, if you don't change your inborn disposition, well, I did talk a little bit about that, you'll simply remain like a child, a brat, and no much better than an animal, you might as well not be a human being. Okay, going to the, the next group, Shendao and Tianpian. Um, some of these men exalt law, but follow no model. They look down on cultivation in front of innovation. Up, above they obtain the ear of their superiors, below they follow a a kind of falling among the vulgar. They speak all day with good form and elegance, but if you repeatedly scrutinize a word and investigate them, they eccentric. I lack foundation and cannot be used to set straight 
sets straight the state or fixed proper social divisions. Okay, again, these people can cite evidence and they can give some reasoning. Um, and so it's enough to deceive and confuse the fullest masses. All right, this should kind of remind you if the previous paragraphs have uh, remind you of certain liberals, liberal groups, this should remind you of, of a lot of conservatives uh, today. They exalt law but follow no model. They look down on cultivation and are fond of innovation. Okay, this sounds like the very business-minded kinds of um, conservative uh, voters. So they, what does it mean to exalt law but follow no model? It means they have all these rules, but there's no kind of ideal way of life, ideal way of culture that is to be followed. It's just a bunch of rules. And you can see the death, the, uh, the, the spiritual death when you look at a, an HOA suburb, and there's a bunch of rules, but also there's no model. In other words, it's kind of dead. It's a dead community. It might look nice, the grass uh, might be really green in all these lawns, and it might not be too noisy, uh, if you live in an HOA place and it's noisy, like people playing loud music or whatever, um, you're really um, being financially taken advantage of. But there's no model. There's nothing substantive uh, that that um, that provides harmony. There's a difference between harmony and peace. So these rules might be able to give peace, but they certainly cannot provide for harmony. It's like having quiet, but no beautiful music. You know, uh, metaphorically speaking. So we'll talk, um, if you've listened to some of the other lectures, music is a metaphor for harmony because everybody is playing an instrument, but it all works together. It doesn't go against each other. And because when everybody's instrument goes against each other playing its own song, you just have noise. And that's like chaos. That's like violence in the society. Um, so that's what it means to have a model. You know, the model is some kind of vision of, of goodness. Um, and so hopefully your family follows a model. Hopefully your community follows a model. And the model is something that embodies humanity, embodies Ren, embodies uh, justice and righteousness, embodies Eve. So they look down on cultivation and are found of innovation meaning they are looking for new technologies, new laws to make things work out. And they ignore the fact that you need to have good uh, leaders. You know, So the purpose of having cultivate yourself is to increase your virtue. So you have higher virtue, and that is what makes you a, a pleasant person to be around. Having virtue is what makes it, it to be a joy to be around you. And having virtuous leaders um, is what inspires the community to, community to, be, to become better. So people who look down on cultivation have no understanding of virtue. And when they look at their fund of innovation, they're being very materialistic. So I hope it's clear why I liken this to many American conservatives today, or uh, conservatives in general, honestly, today, and not specifically American conservatives. But conservatives, conservatives in general, they look down on cultivation, but they're fond of innovation. Um, they speak all day long with good form and elegance, but if you repeatedly scrutinize their words and investigate them, they're eccentric and lack foundation. In other words, they're just kind of haphazard. They just say a bunch of stuff. They're not connected in one foundation. 
in one cohesive way. It's just, well, pro private property is a great thing, and then, um, but they don't really realize why things like uh, capitalism actually breaks down the family, which they also praise. So they praise family, um, and they like family, but they, they also praise um, certain very extreme capitalistic uh, elements of private property, and, and they don't see the, the conflict between these two. You know, and so a lot of, say, Republicans um, are like this, where, you know, I want, on one hand, they, they preach, you know, pro-family and pro-Christianity, but on the other hand, they're extremely um, in favor of big corporations. And um, they don't see how, you know, but big corporations actually damage families in many ways, culturally, but also financially. Um, so they're eccentric, meaning they're disconnected, and they lack foundation, meaning they don't get, they don't have depth. So they cannot be used straight, set to straight, straight, straight to uh, set straight to state or fix proper social divisions. Um, and so they talk all day like a good like a politician with good form and elegance. They sound like they know what they're talking about. They're very impressive. Ultimately, though, they lack substance. So. This is not something that can bring a harmonious and righteous state based on Ren. Next group, Hui Shi and Dong Shi. Uh, some of these men do not take the former kings of this model, nor do they take ritual and E to be right. They like to master strange arguments and play with unusual expressions. They investigate things with extreme acuteness, but without any beneficent intent. And they debate matters, but provide no useful results. They meddle in many affairs, but have few cosmic instruments. They cannot be made the binding thread of good order. Okay. These guys are people who like to debate almost for its own sake and come up with weird arguments. Like, a white horse is not white. They play war games. They mess around with definitions. They mess around with logic. Uh, and they debate matters, but provide few... Uh, they provide no useful results to the meddle in many affairs, but have few accomplishments, and they cannot be made the binding thread of good order. There's a lot of people who try to argue you can be born a man, but because gender is not sex, you can be a woman. Even though you've got male parts, even though you cannot get pregnant, even though you have XY chromosome. And so they meddle in affairs, but have few accomplishments, they cannot be made the binding thread of good order. Why? Because they're not operating in truth, they're not operating in reality, they're not using sound logic. So you just get into weird positions and weird places. And these guys, um, they just want to exercise power ultimately. They're not actually interested in truth, they're not interested in making people happy. Because the thing that would make people happy is to be uh, to accept the body they have. That's actually what will make you happy because you can't change it. You can't actually get pregnant if you're born as a male. And you can't get somebody else pregnant if you're born as a female. These things don't work. And yet, instead of doing that, they, they, they suggest it's okay to get surgeries and hormonal treatments and, and completely rearrange society to accept these very small group of people who have some difficulty accepting their bodies. It doesn't make sense. And it's not helpful to anybody, to no one. Certainly not the people that are going through 
um, a very destructive form of surgery. Okay, now we get to this group uh, that Shunzu calls the vulgar rue or the crude rue. Um, basically, um, he criticizes Zishi and Mongke. Mongke is the uh, name of Mencius, Nongzu, okay, Master Mong. And this is very interesting because, to my knowledge, they never personally met, but they are hearing from each other um, or about each other through perhaps uh, the students or through, simply through reputation. Um, Mencius, to my understanding, never mentions Shunzu, but Shunzu definitely knows about Mencius. So he says of them, they roughly model themselves on the former kings, um, and the way of the form of kings is, is central to the Lu philosophy. They do not understand the overall system, never their lens or talents are many, and their intentions are grand. What they have seen and heard is broad and haphazard. Haphazard means kind of random, not really co coherent, co consistent. And following the old past, they create new doctrine, calling it the five conducts. This doctrine is extremely deviant and does not accord with the proper category of things. It's murky. It has no proper arguments. It's esoteric, meaning it grabs from all sorts of places, and has no proper explanation. They accordingly embellish their phrases and treat the doctrine with deferential respect, saying these are truly the words of former gentlemen. Zishi sings the lead and Monka chimes in with him. Zishi um, is a grandson of Confucius and perhaps the author of uh, the doctrine of the Ming, uh, or, uh, and or the, um, the great learning. Okay. Um, the stupid scholars of this vulgar age Yammer all about this and do not know the error they're committing. Consequently, they do not accept the accepted doctrine and pass it on, thinking of the gift of Confucius and Zigong to later generations to consist of this. Such is a crime of Zishi and Monka. Okay, so overall, his problem is that they take the name of Confucius, but it's not actually Confucian thought. It's not actually Bruce thought. And uh, that's a problem because people will listen to this and think they actually understand it. And that's a problem today because I also have to argue against a lot of people who have, um, you know, like, like Shunzi is describing, uh, their talents are many and their attention is grand. So you have some of these professors at Harvard or, um, I don't know, um, lesser named uh, institutions, um, but they're professors there and they are, you know, supposedly teaching the way. But actually, if you look at that, they're not actually teaching the way. They have, um, you know, their, the doctrine they teach is extremely deviant, does not accord with the proper categories of things, is murky, has no proper arguments, is esoteric, and has no proper explanation. So what happens today regarding that? So we'll talk about what happened back then and today. So back then, um, there are certain emphases that don't really make sense to really emphasize. Like Mencia says, um, that's why gentlemen don't... Um, they never enter the kitchen because uh, animals are slaughtered in the kitchen to be served, you know, when they cook the flesh. Or uh, you never cut off your facial hair uh, because you preserve what your parents um, gave to you. Um, these things are not really stuff to be emphasized. Or you don't eat with a knife at the dinner table because uh, a knife, because a gentleman, you know, a gentleman's heart is supposed to be um, peaceful. 
these things are really not that important. You know, they're not central to the way. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't, I don't let my, my, my hair grow out. I don't have a, you know, I don't have long flowing hair. I don't have a really long beard and must and mustache. Um, you know, it's not really central to the Tao. So that's the kind of thing Shunzi is, you know, talking about when he says, um, you know, they create new doctrine, they create new conducts, but it's esoteric. It has no real proper explanation. You know, do you really buy that using a knife when you eat steak is going to make you less of a virtuous person? So I think that's the kind of thing, or going into the kitchen would make you a less of a gentleman, right? I think that's the kind of thing that um, maybe he is criticizing. Uh, what about today? Oh boy, uh, I've seen a few things. So once there's some Confucian scholars that are really fixated on the environment, which of course is important, but if you just simply follow the Tao, if you follow the way of good government, you don't really have to talk specifically about the environment or wasting environmental resources. Related to that are things like vegetarianism. Uh, there are some Confucian scholars who are, you know, people who suppose you know Confucianism that are all, all about vegetarianism and veganism. It's not really central to the way. So here, this is like uh, this part about, um, it does not accord with the proper categories of things. Proper categories of things relates to knowing what's important as a category and what's less important as a category. Animals are not as important as human beings. Um, other other things that they do is they, they start to go, oh, can Confucianism work with democracy? And if it can't, uh, then democracy takes priority. That is not the ways of the former kings, <laughs> right? They clearly do not understand their overall system. And um, if you talk about people who are feminists, you know, and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm sorry that Confucius was a misogynist. They've kind of apologized on behalf of Confucius. This is also wrong understanding. They don't understand what the meaning of marriage is. So they do not understand um, what the overall system is. You know, they don't, they, when they see, think that uh, wives being submissive to their husbands is some sort of um, inherent evil, then they don't understand the overall system, wherein everybody is actually submissive to somebody else. Ministers are submissive to the Lord, generals are submissive to their kings, and the Son of Heaven even is submissive to the mandate of heaven. Everybody is submissive to somebody else, and it's enshrined in ritual. And um, so everybody has somebody they follow, not just women, not just wives. So they don't understand the overall system. So whenever you see these people who are professors out there, they've got high positions, and they've got the talent to obtain that professorship wherever, and they have all these books, but then you read those books and then you, and you see a lot of modern thought in their um, book about how to live con the Confucian way in modern life or whatever they're saying, then you know that these are uh, vulgar scholars. 
So even if you know nine out of 10 things, if you don't know the 10th major thing, you still have a misunderstanding. It's important to understand that. All right, next paragraph, we finally get to Confucius and Zigong. And here, um, the, um, this understanding is applauded. Uh, combine the various arts and strategies to make their words and deeds match each other, to have a unified understanding of the overall system and the proper categories of things. In other words, they know how everything connects to each other properly. Li, Yi, Ren, uh, the study of poetry, the study of history, um, the role of economics and human flourishing, etc. the role of military arts in uh, defending a righteous society. So they have a unified understanding of the overall system and the proper categories of things. In other words, it's not just random knowledge that's being put together. They know that it's not a big deal to trim your beard once in a while. They know that it's not a big deal to eat with a knife um, when you're eating steak. Okay. They bring together the most valiant and talented men under heaven and form them of the ancient past and teach them how to fully comply with what is right within their dwellings, within the very space of the mass they sit. The patterns and forms of the sage kings are all gathered together compactly and the customs that could bring peace to the whole world arise from there with lively form. The six misguided doctrines cannot enter in these men, nor can the 12 masters with their affection. Um, even though they did not possess much of a spade's worth of land, kings and dukes cannot compare keep it with their, uh, with their fame. Fame in this case means a worthy reputation, uh, not simply being famous. We're not talking about like the Kardashians, okay? They're famous, but this is not what, what is meant here. Um, if they had occupied even so much as a grand minister's position, then no single lord could keep them, no single state could contain them. They would accomplish fame greater than the feudal lords. And no one would fail to want them as ministers. These are these men are sages who do not obtain power, and such men were Confucius and Zigong. All right. Um, there's a few Zigongs in uh, Confucian history. This one is... Uh, not necessarily the one that we find in the Analects, um, although it's, um, I'm, I'm just not sure at the moment. I'll save that for a later uh, lecture. But, um, but here Confucius and Zigong are, are praised. Then the next paragraph we have Shun and Yu, and these are the men who are actually kings, and they raise and nurture people, they unify all under heaven and use the 10,000 things that their resources. Um, none of the, uh, they bring benefit to the whole world, even beyond their borders. None of the regions to which people have penetrated will fail to submit and follow them. Submit doesn't mean necessarily be conquered. What it means is that they um, follow their lead, right, culturally. Views such as the six misguided doctrines are immediately extinguished. Um, and men as such of the 12 masters are transformed. In other words, you have these guys that are out there, they're smart, they're charismatic, but they're transformed into people who are better because the king is a person of, 
uh, correct understanding and great virtue. Now, what does the person of Ren strive for? At his greatest, he models himself on the controlling order of Shun and Yu, and at the least, he models himself on the E of Confucius and Zigong. Okay. Let's go to the next part here. To trust in what is trustworthy, uh, this is line 98. To trust in what is trustworthy is called is trustworthiness. To doubt what is doubtful is also trustworthiness. Um, the translator basically says that he takes the point to mean that in order to live up unto one's word, you have to know what you can trust yourself to accomplish, and you have to express doubt as to what you're not sure you could do. And this is something that you should do when you talk, even, and not just make promises. So if you don't think you can make promises, you can say, I will try, I'm not sure I can. Um, if you do say you can, you can and you make no qualifications, you should do it. Um, on the other hand, when it comes, I mean, when it comes to speech, don't be in rush to answer. Don't be in rush to, to say something. Be careful about what you're going to say. And uh, express concern. If you are concerned that you're not able to actually know what's true or not, just be honest about it. Just like I did with Zigong, right? I'm not saying I know. Um, I'm 80% sure this is a different Zigong, but um, I want to, you know, I only want to say it if I'm 100% sure. All right, so trustworthiness um, doesn't mean you, you're a perfect person in your action, but it, it means to be honest in your communication. To honor those who are worthy is red. To treat as lowly those who are unworthy is also red. Okay, um, this is very important. If you meet somebody who is worthy and you treat them honorably, this is... Um, this is what it means to be red, you know? whereas the opposite is not. So, you know, um, to put in more understandable language, if you meet somebody and he doesn't have much money, um, but he's a good person and you just kind of treat him lonely because he doesn't have much money, you're a bad person. And um, if you if you treat somebody as as worthy, um, if you treat somebody who is, um, uh, but on the other hand, if you if you if you find somebody who, uh, like that and you honor that person, then you are a good person. So you can always tell about somebody based on how he treats other people, and this is an extension of this idea, right? So if somebody is a good person and that person treats them honorably, then that person himself is a good person, right? If he doesn't, if he shows disrespect, you already know this guy is lacking in virtue. Okay. What one speaks in is fitting. This is called wisdom. Um, let me skip a few lines. He who speaks little but confirms with proper model and everything is intrinsic. So um, you need to know when to speak and when, when not to speak. You need to know um, whom to teach and whom not to teach. Some people, they just, you know, they don't follow the proper mar model and uh, some people's words are perverse and murky and these people are just petty men, regardless of uh, how much or little they speak. In line 116, you have uh, some men are smart but dangerous and they can work harm with the spirit like e efficacy. 
They're clever, artifice and deceit. Their words are useless, but they argue for them forcefully, etc. Um, such men were severely prohibited in ancient times. They are clever, but lack the, the proper model. They are bold, but lack proper fear. fear. They argue keenly, but their behavior is deviant and perverse. Um, if someone to admire and employ these men, in other words, in today's terms, and like them, then they would indulge their taste for violence and spread it to the masses. Yet as rulers, they would be like somebody who collapses while carrying a heavy stone. Um, so such people with their words and their arguments cause a lot of damage. And that is why these people are actually the worst people out in the world. It's not actually people who break into people's houses, homes and steal stuff. It's people who um, argue for the wrong things and therefore create a more pervasive chaos that is more subtle but longer lasting and more significant. Um, in this paragraph that starts with 131, we have different E depending on the relationship. We usually think about E as just being moral principle that you apply to everybody, right? So you're equally honest to everybody, but this is not actually good, proper E. It's not correct E. Correct um, morality takes into account a person's relation with somebody, right? So what you owe to your wife is a lot different from what you owe to a stranger. What you owe to your father is a lot different from what you owe to your friend. Okay, so um, this kind of brings up the story that, of Confucius hearing about some man who whose father stole a sheep and this man gave his father up to the authorities. And Confucius disapproves of this because uh, the E of a son is not to do some, not to give them up the father up to the authorities, but instead to encourage the father to reform his ways. Okay. Um, I like this line at one eighty-five. The Junza can make himself honorable, but he cannot ensure that others will honor him. This is very important to understand. Don't get upset that people are not honoring you or ignoring you or even insulting you. That's their problem. That shows you the lack of their virtue. That's why you can judge somebody based on how he honors other people. Right? So just ignore them. You know, Dogs will bark at whomever, not based on E or virtue, but just because the dog doesn't like you or he thinks you're invading his quote-unquote territory. Um, so it doesn't matter, right? You can get insulted by these people. You shouldn't take it to heart. They shouldn't insult you, sure, and what they're doing is wrong. Um, but don't. Um, it's not something that you should take to heart. Okay. On the paragraph starting one, 98, the appearance of the well-bred man and Junza. Um, this is talking about kind of some things about, you know, keeping good clothing, right? Like, uh, just like, a, a, you know, if there's a person in the army and his uniform is disheveled, um, it doesn't look good and it's not proper, right? So this is just true in general. Um, so, you know, you want to have... Um, Clothes worn well, but furthermore, you should have the right appearance, 
um, depending on the relation. So don't just kind of, you know, sit there wide-eyed, staring, or disinterested. That's not respectful. Okay, so what's on your face and the tone of your voice, these are very important things. You know, so you should be ashamed if you don't, if they're not proper. Um, last page on 46, uh, you have from lines 220, around 220 till the end, um, kind of a discussion of degeneracy in various scholars and various schools. Zishang, Zishia, Ziyo, these are all students of Confucius and they went on to have their own schools where they taught their own students. But over time, um, maybe it's not necessarily Zishang, Ziyu's or Zishia's fault necessarily as teachers, um, but over time they have these schools and the schools last you know, much longer than the lifetime of their founders. And uh, eventually they kind of drift off into bad directions. So there's some criticism on, you know, how they behave or um, even the things that they say. Like, for example, the general, the general certainly never employs his physical strengths. Um, according to Shunzi, this is what people in the school of Dio say. And, um, you know, these are kind of criticisms there. So you can learn a little bit about proper character, proper demeanor, proper behavior, proper tone in this section. So the true Junza is not so. He relaxes without becoming indolent, lazy. He works hard without delaying. He follows the true fount or foundation, which is the way to adapt to changes in everything he obtains and in everything obtains what is fitting, appropriate and just. When he is thus, only then is he a sage. A sage is a very high level. Um, wait, you know, it's the ideal human being, um, even above the level of the Junzu. And um, only certain people in history are compared or labeled as a sage. So overall, this chapter talks about what's wrong during Junzu's time, but you can take some of that description and understand also what's wrong with the people of today their wrong understandings, their deviant views, and uh, even start to criticize them. But know that this is not part of the real, genuine Ru, uh, Ru way, the Ru Dao, the Dao of Confucius and uh, the former kings. And so this chapter is important for that reason.